I uh, was going through and putting uh, this message together, and, and on, uh, I believe it was Thursday night, I uh, went with a group of men uh, to dinner, and uh, we went to this Mexican restaurant for dinner, and uh, we were sitting down, and, and the men were discussing, and one of the things the discussion ensued was numbers in churches. How many people you actually have sitting in your pews? And um, we began that discussion, and, and we began to talk about it a little bit, and I think an emphasis sometimes is really too heavy on how many are actually seated in your church. And I think one of the things we ought to think about is how many people are we mentoring in our church, more so than how many are seating it in our church. And obviously you want to preach to the multitudes because you want to win the lost. And, you know, I began to talk to them about the scriptures and this message came up. And I had three pastors sitting at the table and those three pastors at the table said, wait a minute, tell me what that verse was again, Brother Warnick. <laughs> And the reason I'm sharing that with you is, is because I told those men at that table, one of my greatest desires is not to be known, but to make him known. Amen. I could care less if anybody knows my name. I care about, do you know Jesus Christ? And the second thing is this. Having shared that with you, this passage says, know him. And I challenged those men at that table that night, what kind of relationship do you really have with Jesus Christ? What kind of relationship do you really have with Jesus Christ? Now we call ourselves Christians and we come to church and, uh, you know, we, we, we sometimes just kind of go through it. But what kind of relationship do you really have with Jesus Christ? And you say, well, I pray and I understand that and that's good. And, and I read my Bible and that's good. But that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, what kind of relationship do you really have with Jesus Christ? What's your relationship like with your Savior? And all of a sudden, and of course my wife was sitting at a table next to us, all the ladies were at another table, and it got real quiet. And the challenge that I put before them and the challenge I put for you this morning, because I'd already written this before I'd gone out there, and it is this, are you personally really in love with Jesus Christ. You men in this church, do you love Jesus Christ? And if you do, how is that helping you in your relationship with him? And can I communicate that to someone else about the importance of having a very close walk with Jesus Christ? I uh, have been watching tweets go out, and I know many of us are watching this thing on television of Brett Kavanaugh, are we not? And here's the thing, I see good men whom I've been in closed doors with and know them and I see posts and I see all these things going out. You know, some of the words are very angry. And I'm not saying we have to agree with them and I'm not saying we have to agree with their stance and I'm not saying we have to agree with how they're going about it or whatever. But how many of us are praying for those people like the Bible teaches us? How many of us are actually praying for the Diane Feinsteins? of the world. And you say, Pfft. I don't think Jesus feels that way about her. Amen? Amen? And I don't think that Jesus feels that way about Cory Booker or about Blumenthal or about Jeff Flake. I don't think Jesus feels that way about them at all. I think as Christians, instead of us putting out angry words, maybe we ought to post some things about praying for people. Amen?
The last time I read my Bible, it says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, isn't it? Who moves the heart? He moves whithersoever he willeth. How many of us have enough faith and know our Savior well enough to know that, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, amen? amen? He's the one sitting on the throne. I can't change another man's heart, but I sure can pray to the one who can. <laughs> and instead of conversing with angry words, why not pray for people? Now, that's a sidebar from what I'm going to share this morning, but I believe many in this world do not believe in Christ, and that's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not to be angry at the world, not to be mad and, and, and have our veins sticking out of our neck, but I believe the purpose of the local church is to help make Christ known. And the way we make him known is, do you know him first of all? How many of you men, and I challenge the men at that table, how many of you men are really in love with Jesus Christ? What kind of relationship do you have with him during the week when no one else is watching? And I'm not just saying throwing up a prayer before I eat or throwing out something like No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a personal relationship with your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, the members and missionaries and us as people, we're to make Jesus Christ known, not ourselves. And I think we're living in a day and age where it's more important what the name of my church is and how many people are sitting in the pews more so than who Jesus Christ is. And I challenge those men out there to start mentoring people rather than be so concerned about how many are sitting in the pews. And the fact is, is that, yes, we want the multitudes. But do you know, I look and I see that Jesus preached to the multitudes, but can you see the success, if you will, he had one-on-one -on -one with people? How many of you men in here are mentoring somebody one-on-one? -on -one? You have somebody that you're really working with that you're really trying to win them to Christ. The other morning after I text you, Ms. Fisher, I also text Preston. <laughs> Preston said, why did God lay you on my heart? I said, I have no idea, Preston. He said, well, I'm going for a job interview. <laughs> I said, you are? He said, yeah. He said, and we're just texting back and forth. And he said, would you, would you pray about this, he said, I, I'm having some negative thoughts, but he said, I really want this job. Preston, what did you tell me this morning? Pray for people. Are you with me? It wasn't my prayer. It was my God. Amen? I couldn't do a thing for him. I could pray for him. Amen? Now, here's what I'm challenging you to think about. Instead of us having angry hearts or angry spirits about all the things that are going on around us, let's start praying. Last time I looked, God's in control. Would you agree with that? And if we know him, we have that relationship with him, don't we? And if we know him, no matter what lies have gelled, no matter what false accusers have come by, no matter what we think or how we might feel about it, whatever the case may be, whatever side of the fence you're falling on, we ought to pray for him. Amen? We ought to pray for people. And we ought to know our Savior well enough to know that he's going to answer our prayers. And by the way, the Bible clearly says if a man endured grief, suffering wrongfully, right? This is acceptable with God. That's hard to understand, isn't it? Hey, do you know the Bible says if you've done wrong and you get caught for having done wrong, the Bible says, so what? Now you say, preacher, where are you getting that out? Let's go look at Peter. You can look at it and see. He clearly tells us if a man endured grief, suffering wrongfully, God said, so what? 
Hey, when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. And it tells us to walk in the steps of the Savior to be an example to those that believe. And if all we are is an angry people, how are we going to help anybody? And what we have to have is a heart for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Not all believe that. Not all believers act like that. But not all people believe in Jesus Christ. God spoke highly of His Son, and the Bible tells us that He has been given a name above all names. How many of you know that? Let's preach Jesus a little bit more and a little less self. Amen? Let's talk about him a little bit more and a little bit less about ourselves. Let's talk about what Christ is doing. It is my prayer that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior today, and if you do, how you walking with him? What's your relationship like with him? How well do you know him? How well and how uh, much would you say, I enjoy being with my Savior? Hey, you know, the Bible teaches us that we ought to have a regular heart of confession. Did you know that? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he gave it to us because we sin. Amen? He tells us that we ought to pray without ceasing. He tells us to uh, go to his word and to meditate upon his word. Meditation is not memorization. Meditation is really thinking and, and spending some time in God's word. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. The Bible does teach us to memorize his word. He teaches us in the scriptures, thine word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The Bible teaches us that we ought to be fellowshipping with one another. And I think right now Christians are so distracted by the economy and anger, they're not thinking about Jesus. Hey, by the way, do you realize that both sides have an agenda? <laughs> I just happen to like our side. Amen? Amen. But let me tell you something. How many of us are praying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done? Now, if I know him, <laughs> if I know him, I know that's the way to pray. If I know him. Knowing him is important, folks. If you've trusted Christ to take your soul to heaven, are you now growing in your relationship with him? If you were to say today, I've been saved for X number of years and so forth and so on, how well do you know him? What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? And I want you to think about this this morning. This is a very close bond that only comes through time spent together and alone with our Savior. There is an intimate relationship that he's speaking of here, and Paul writing more of the New Testament than anybody, and Paul writing these words, and he gets down and he says, listen, let me tell you about my past. He tells about his past, but he gets down here, and he says in verse 9, and he says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. How well do you know him this morning? How well do you know him this morning? Through our salvation, a relationship begins. So the relationship requires knowledge and growth by his power. When I look at this, this salvation begins this relationship. And yet, is your relationship growing as it should? It says that I may know him. And to know someone or to know somebody is to really have a relationship with them. Now, I know in our world in which we live today, we always talk about knowledge or knowing is about head knowledge. And this is not what that word means at all. That word means, do you have a relationship with him? Paul said that I may know him, that I might have the right kind of relationship with my Savior. What kind of relationship do you have with him? To know him. And as I thought about this, Paul wanted to have a more, uh, a more uh, intimate relationship with him. Not just a casual relationship with him, but an intimate relationship with him. 
Do you have an intimate relationship with your Savior? Do you really know Jesus Christ? You say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, Pastor. What else do you want? I'm talking about how often are you in his love letter? How often are you meditating, thinking about, pondering on, musing over what he said to us? How he wants us to live. The joy that is available to every believer doesn't mean we won't have suffering. And when we do, he gives us the comfort that we need. He gives us peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Amen. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus Christ, and yet we walk around with all these troubles and all these circumstances and all the things that are happening in the world and the saved behaving like the unsaved. Folks, that ought not be our testimony, amen? That ought not be our testimony. When I look at this, this requires me to get into the Word of God. It's not about watching a film about Him. (laughs) It's not knowing the name of Jesus Christ. It's about having a friendship, a relationship. We sing a song, what a friend we have in what? Jesus, amen. What a friend we have, amen. Amen. He calls us his friend. Are you really a friend of Christ? You say, well, I'm saved. I I didn't ask you that. I'm saying, what kind of a friend are you? Because some of us have some good friends. Anybody? How many of you have some good friends, huh? Okay, what kind of a friend are you to Jesus? Are you just a casual friend of Christ or are you a good friend of Jesus? When I think about this, this was to be so close with him that when we see this, that we experience the power that he has. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection saved souls for eternity, amen? The power of his resurrection took away sin and death and hell. And you think about the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection goes beyond my comprehension and beyond my understanding, but that I know him and understand what he's done for me. The knowledge of Christ. What is it like to really know him? And I, and I thought Paul was stating this in the most intimate spiritual relationship that you can have. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That is powerful, folks. To know him is to live. <laughs> to know him is to be given eternal life. To know him is very different than just head knowledge. And to know him is to want to know him better. <laughs> that I may grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Peter said, that I may know him. This knowledge of Christ is understanding the power of his resurrection that gives that eternal life. It sets an intimate relationship that it brings you to action. It causes you to do something about what you know. This is a bond. This is a binding relationship. It's so wonderful to know that he cares that much. And listen, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit now moves in and now God has given you himself inside of you. And this is a strong bond and a strong relationship. And so what is your relationship like with him? You know, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Am I grieving the Spirit of God in my life? Or am I bringing up alongside others and pleasing the Lord? You know, Jesus said, I do always that which please the Father. Amen. I'm not there, folks. I'm not saying I am. I can show you the coal on the other side of my ring here. I'm not preaching a shiny diamond. I'm just saying, what's your relationship like with Jesus Christ this morning? What kind of relationship do you really have with him? 
And I, and I got to thinking to know him is to be intimately involved with him and to have that bond, that strong relationship. The power of his resurrection will cause you to be personal with him. It will cause you to want to share what he's done for you and, and to share with others what he's capable of doing and to share with others the, the salvation of their soul and eternal life and, and the difference between this world and the world to come and who he is and what he's accomplished. I mean, it's to know him. And really care about what he thinks. Do you know, I think sometimes, even as men behind pulpits, we care more about what some other pastors think about our church than what Jesus thinks about our church. Last time I read the book of Revelation, I don't see a pastor's name there judging that church. Amen? Who's going to judge this church? And sometimes I think we care more about what others think than we care about what he thinks. And I watch men do this. And listen, I'm intimate with some of these men. And some of these men have some large works. And they care more about what other people think about their church and what other pastors think about their church more than they care about what Jesus thinks about their church. Do you know what I care about here at Calvary? I care about souls. I care about people. And I care about what Jesus thinks about us. Amen. I care about what my Lord and Savior thinks about us. And the thing of it is, is do you really care what he thinks about you more than you care about what others think about you? We ought to care more about what he thinks than what others think, amen? And I'm not saying we can't have influence upon people, and I'm not saying that, that, that others can't appreciate or enjoy what you're doing or how you're behaving or whatever, but I'm telling you right now, no one's going to judge me but my Savior, Amen? And you are not my judge, and I am not your judge, and some other church is not our judge. I'll tell you who the judge is. His name is King Jesus. Amen. Amen. And we ought to be more concerned about what he thinks about our lives than what others think about our lives. And whenever you have that kind of an intimate relationship, it's important. Do you know you could come up to me, and you could say, Hey, Pastor, I really like that shirt, that tie. Do you know who I care about likes this shirt and tie? This lady right here. And she said it looks good, it looks good. I don't care what anybody else thinks. If she told me I look good, I, you know, I'll walk around like this that day. Yeah, I look good today. I care more about what she thinks than what other people think. Amen? Amen. I'm not concerned what other ladies think about me. I'm concerned about what this lady thinks about me. Anybody on board with me now? Do you understand what I'm talking about? We ought to care more about what he thinks about us than we care about what others out here think about us. And we ought to be in such a relationship with him because I want to tell you something. Jesus wasn't concerned about what the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought about him. He cared about what the Father of Heaven thought about him. Amen? And when you have this intimate relationship, you're going to care about that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most powerful event in the history of the world. How many of you understand that? I mean, you see things and you say, man, I'm telling you, that flood and Noah's Ark, man, that was amazing. Guess who was involved? The one who died for you. Amen. Jesus. Man, we got in a conversation in the van, and, and uh, one of the conversations that ensued was, did the earth stand still that day, or did the sun stand still and the moon stayed? Now, I want to challenge you on something. I read my Bible, Brother Henshin, and you know what my Bible says? The sun stood still and the moon stayed. They could argue all they wanted. I said, all I have to do is open up my Bible. What's the Bible say? The sun stood still. 
I don't have a problem. Amen. You can debate it all you want and anything you want to say about it, but the Bible clearly says the sun stood still that day. Amen. Amen. Now we'll hear people say, well, the earth stopped or it stopped rotating. That's not what the Bible said. The Bible said one thing. The sun stood still and the moon stayed. Amen. It's answered, isn't it? And you can tell me anything you want about where we came from, and the Bible says in the beginning, God. (laughs) And the fact is, is that no matter what men think, we ought to stick with what our Savior told us. Amen? And, And the challenge in my heart is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most powerful event in the history of the entire world. And by his power, you know, the day he died, how many of you know that there was a major earthquake that day? How many of you understand that the graves opened up and people come up out of the graves? How many of you understand that the veil was rent that day? Hey, hey, listen, and the sky was darkened, man. That was an amazing event in the history of the world. Why? Because our Savior took our sin that day. Do you know him? Do you know him? Now, we can know about him, but do you know what he did for you? This is a very close bond that only comes through time spent together alone and I think we have to spend time in prayer with him. Amen? You've got to get alone with him. And when Jesus was in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. When's the last time you prayed more earnestly when you were in agony? You see, sometimes we throw our hands in the air. I want you to understand, you know, when Brother Mike comes up and he's praying over the offering, you know, he's not praying for us in the auditorium. He's praying to God. Amen? When the guy opens the service... <laughs> He's not praying for us in this room. He's praying to God. How many of you want God's hand in the surface? Amen? Amen. How many of you want God doing something? Amen? I want Jesus involved. Amen? Amen. I want to get out of the way sometimes. I'm thinking, good night. We, we get so concerned about what others think. What do we think about what Jesus thinks? Amen. Don't we think a little bit about him a little bit more? Spending time together alone with him in prayer and the scriptures, and meditating upon the word. How well do you know them? You know, this close bond also demands an understanding of the partnership. This partnership requires something. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now watch this. And the fellowship of his sufferings. When you think of fellowship, it's usually a good thing, isn't it? Hey, we're going to have pie, or we're going to have ice cream, or, you know, Miss Pam's going to make her potato soup, or... You know what I'm saying? Miss Louise is going to bring her stuff. We're going to have cake. We're gonna, I mean, we start, oh, man. We're going to have fellowship. Ooh. The fellowship of his sufferings. Now, if I made food for you, there would be some suffering after the fellowship. Amen? Because if I made my chili, you'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> but the fellowship of his sufferings. When you think about fellowship, that's, that's in relationship with, right? We're getting together. <laughs> that you really begin to understand this, that, that it's camaraderie, that it's understanding, it's partnership. It's us getting together. When I look at this, when we see this brings only the thoughts of suffering on the cross at Calvary. And however, when Christians continue in sin, it still brings pain to the Savior. You say, well, there's no sin in heaven. I understand that. But Jesus died for all our sin, did he not? And the Bible clearly teaches us in Hebrews whenever we sin that we bring his name to an open shame. And so I want you to understand we continue as if we crucify him again. And that is why, folks, we need to be cautious about our life and our lifestyle, how we live, how we behave, how we act. 
When I look at this, we are also told in Romans 6, 1, 2, uh, 1 and 2, he said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We ought to move away from that stuff, amen? amen. And by the way, an angry heart is an angry heart, amen? It doesn't matter if you're angry over something somebody said or something somebody did. The last time I read the Bible, it says, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And sometimes we're angry over stuff we can't even change, but the one who can change it, we don't give him the time. I believe if we want to see revival in our nation, I believe if we want to see change in our nation, we need to take all of this to God. If we really want God to do something, let's get a hold of God. Amen? And may God, may God get a hold of us. Amen? May our Savior really have a hold on you. And I just want you to think, we do not often think in terms of fellowship and suffering together, but to know him is to have an intimate connection with his pain. Do you think it pains him when people sin? Do you think it pains him when a man dieth without salvation? Do you think it pains our Savior to watch Christians behave like the world? Sure. Do you think it pains our Savior? And, and when he says the fellowship of his sufferings, this is a partnership which comes with emotion, influence, and knowing the hardships our Savior undertakes and the experiences that he faced. And hey, listen, if a man endure grief, suffering wrongfully, God said that is acceptable with God. And sometimes things come our way and we get angry and we get mad. By the way... We get angry and mad at God. We may direct it at people, but we're really angry with the Lord. We must be sensitive to the grief and the sorrow that accompanies the rejection that Jesus Christ receives from the world. If you spend any time trying to share the gospel with others, there will come a time of, uh, of, of rejection. How many of you have experienced that? You know, I share the story with you. Uh, I, I had a gentleman who used to go soul winning with me in Colonial Beach, too. His name was Elkova. Brother Dwight Smith had come down, and he had preached, and man, we had a great time of revival. We were out knocking on doors and things, and went to this guy's house, and we go, and we knock on his door. Guy comes to the door, we start talking to him about his salvation in Christ, and, and, and uh, the gentleman says, hey, can, can you come back? I want you to tell my wife and my kids about all this, and I thought, man, that'd be great. I said, when do you want me to come back? And so he said, you know, if you could come back next week at this time, and I was like, man, I even have an appointment. God set me up an appointment. So Brother Dwight and I, we prayed with the man, and so we leave. <laughs> and I go back later, I have Alcova with me. When I walk up to the door, I knock on the door, and a lady came out, and the glasses were down to about here. She had a cigarette in her hand. The ash was that long, at least in my mind, amen? And she opened the door, and she goes, what do you want? I said, well, I'm, I'm Pastor Warnick from over at Westmoreland. I said, uh, your husband was here the other night, and he asked me to come by so that I could share with you. We don't want any, and she, wham, slammed the door. When she did, if you don't notice this big Pollock's nose, hey amen, I got one. Man, when she shut that door, it hit me like right there. I was like, because I was standing in the doorway. And I remember backing up, but it just hit me in the nose. I turned around, and if you all knew Elko, he's a wonderful man. God, I want you to pray for him. He's dealing with Parkinson's now. But I turned to him. I said, well, you ready to go? He looked at me, and he goes, what? She, what? God, is this the right house? She can't do that. 
What am I going to do? That day, that lady didn't reject me. Amen? She rejected the Savior. It's hard to understand, isn't it? It's not me that she rejected. And what happens sometimes is we don't witness because we're afraid of the rejection. We're afraid of what someone else might think about us. Anybody on board with me now? (laughs) Should I care more about what you think or what he thinks? Do you understand what I'm saying? Should I care more about what somebody else thinks about me or should I care about what Jesus thinks about me? Now listen, the fellowship of his sufferings, the pain that he went through for all of us, (laughs) and, and, and his desires that ye shall be witnesses. Amen? And so he desires for us to go and share this. And what is this all about? Well, we got to be sensitive to the grief that we can put the Holy Spirit through by our attitude, our actions, our spirit, our attitude toward others. And when rejection comes, don't be upset. This intimate relationship, you tell others about Christ, you're in partnership with Him, and you tell the world what He did and what He experienced for us. Amen? And they have a decision to make. I can't force it on them. I can only tell them about it. In this intimate relationship, you tell others who Christ is and your partnership with Him in the world. And you will experience, I promise you, the rejection of truth. I shared with those men as we were talking, I said, you know, I had a hard time understanding sometimes when you open up the Bible and you read the scriptures, and you're in the scriptures and the Bible says, they will fall under a great delusion and believe a lie. How many of you have read that passage of scripture in 2 Thessalonians? Amen. And it's talking about when the Antichrist comes, and it's talking about all those things. It says, and people will fall under a great delusion and believe a lie. And when you look at our nation today, it's not hard to understand that happening now, is it? It's not hard to understand. I, I look in the book of Revelation where it says, and the two witnesses were murdered, they were killed, and they were placed on the street, and when they were, people started to share gifts. I think if some of our leaders in Washington, D.C. were killed today, people would be sharing some gifts. Attitude, spirit, heart of people. You know, that ought not be us. Do you understand when I say us? Do you understand what I'm saying when I say us? Amen. It ought not be the heart of the saved, amen? amen? It ought not be the attitude and the spirit of the saved. We know he died for the whole world, but the whole world's not in partnership with Jesus Christ, amen? And it is those that believe that should be in partnership with him. And, and we need to be willing to give an answer to everyone that asketh. In 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of hope that is in you, notice this, with meekness and fear. It didn't say with anger and outburst. It said to do it with meekness and fear. It told us to be ready to give an answer. Now the world does not know him. But you must know him and understand the pain that he went through, the suffering, and understand that sorrow and that grief. And here's the challenge. Do you know him that way? Do you have that kind of relationship with your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? I told you I'm not preaching my shiny dime. I don't know that I'm there, folks. I want to be there. Every morning I wake up, I pray that prayer, Lord God, help me to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. I don't know. I want to be there. I want to be there for my Savior. I want to be in fellowship with His sufferings. I want to understand the power of His resurrection. The only way that I can know Him is to really walk with Him, isn't it?
to know him. You know, this is a really close bond. It's time spent together. It's knowing his word, being able to put it into practice when the opportunity arises. The last thought is this. This relationship involves becoming like Christ in his death and new life. It says, and being made conformable unto his death. Conforming to his death. (laughs) When you think about the relationship, it requires us to grow by his death. What this communicates is this, this relationship is so intimate that you become like him in his death. You know what that is? I'm not as important as he is. What God wanted was important to Jesus Christ, was it not? So much so that he died for it. And then the Bible tells us that we ought to be so much in love with Jesus and he gives us his Holy Spirit and the, the, the role and responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit resides in us. And how many of you would share with your heart today, you know, sometimes I'm just not testifying about him like I ought to. And yet the Holy Spirit resides in us. In the Bible, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Now listen, if I say, well, listen, this guy got saved. He needs to stop doing drugs, and he needs to stop drinking, and he needs to stop smoking, and he needs to stop going to the bar. I want to tell you, if you're saved, you ought to stop being angry, and you ought to stop gossiping, you ought to stop doing wrong. You ought to stop treating people wrong. You ought to start praying for your enemies. You see, there's no difference, is there? (laughs) The reality is, is we see outward sin, and boy, we can judge people right away. Oh, God help us for the inside sins, amen? Amen. The ones that no one's seeing. (laughs) God help us not to walk that way. Help us to be a people of confession, amen? (laughs) We're not the judge, he's the judge, amen? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's just not outward actions, folks. It's an attitude of the heart. There's a change in my spirit. Amen. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined means he predetermined that when you got saved, that you would be conformed to his son. You'd be like him. You'd be like Jesus. Amen. And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Amen? When, when, when they, they mocked him, he didn't mock them back. In reality, that passage says that even as he was an example to us, we need to be an example to others in the same vein. This relationship is so intimate that you become just like your partner, conformable as to be the same form or the exact image. And you can go read this in Romans 6, 3 through 6 when you get an opportunity. It includes not only outward action, to do as Christ does, but it also requires a change in our thinking. And I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You need to have a change in thinking. I need to think differently than I have in the past. Being made conformable to his death is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, knowing that you have an eternal relationship with him, and you do not have to have deep roots here like we do sometimes. I think our roots are more deeper here than we're thinking about they're going to be there. Anybody on board with me on that one? Sometimes we don't want That's for temporary. We got yours. And set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Amen? Amen. 
And, 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 and sometimes I think we have that reverse in our hearts and in our minds. When you equate to the death of Christ so much, you begin to take on that image, that image of his words, his deeds, his actions, that the world no longer sees you, but they see the one you serve. How many can see Christ in you? How many see Jesus in you? You say, what's that supposed to mean? Well, my words, my deeds, my actions, what are they like? Are they Christ-like? And you say, well, how would I know that? By being in the Word. <laughs> That's how you would know. How well do you know Him? Do you have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, folks, it starts with salvation. Do you understand? This is the idea. How many of you ran track in school? Anybody run track in school? How many of you remember the runner's block? Anybody remember runner's blocks? We used to put runner's blocks down, and you get down. I can't squat that far these days. And you get down on those runner's blocks and you'd have your feet in the runner's blocks. You know what I'm talking about, Jessica? Huh? And the gun would fire. And you would push off with you as hard as you could to get out there. And you wanted to get out past the crowd. Amen? Do you know that's salvation? The gun fired. But do you know what? If all you did was jump up and stop, where are you going? Are you going to win the race? You're not, are you? you got to keep on going. And there's going to be people running beside you and running to try to catch you. Amen? That's the devil in sin sometimes, isn't it? And the devil in the sins just try to run up on you and catch up with you and maybe even get ahead of you. But if we're to finish our course, if we're to run the race, we got to keep on moving, don't we? Let me tell you about the Christian life. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward because there ain't no standing still. Amen? And Paul said, I've finished my course. There was a direction God was taking him. Amen? And we're to run the race. I watched the Penn State-Ohio State game last night. How many of you watched that? Anybody? Penn State started well. But they didn't finish the game. What's the end result? They lost. So many of us in our Christians' lives started off well, but we're not going to finish well. I'm going to end with this. We looked at the Ford Kavanaugh hearings. How many of you saw some of that stuff? How many of you been watching that? And get angry over what's happening, right? This is a challenge to young people in this church, okay? And I want you to just think about this for just a moment. If Brett Kavanaugh wasn't drinking beer, and he wasn't going to parties, and he wasn't running around with people he ought not be with, he might not have to defend us today. Amen? How many adults in here right now would like to have a rewind? Huh? How many of you want a do-over? Amen? When we were kids, we used to say, I want a do-over. <laughs> I want to do over. Here's the thing. I don't know whether he's innocent or guilty. I don't know whether she's lying or telling the truth. I know he knows. Amen. But if you think your testimony doesn't matter, there'll come a day when it does. And if you don't think so, look at where he's at today. And I just want to challenge you in your hearts to know him, and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death ought to change us for his sake. Let's pray.